Hi guys, welcome back to the What About podcast. It's great to have you with us again for this third of our series Pray Like Jesus where we're going through the Lord's Prayer bit by bit. I've got a guest on who's going to be talking about the different sections and what it means for us as a church today. My guest today is Lawrence Mudford who is a retired dentist and elder at King's Uckfield and happens to be my dad. So great to have you on the podcast. Hi, Oak. Really nice to be here. And I say it's a privilege and a real pleasure, actually, to be contributing to this series. Yeah, the verse I'm speaking on today does seem really quite simple in many ways and actually almost innocent at first reading. But for me and for many Christians, I think it's one of the most challenging and hopefully motivating verses in the New Testament. So hopefully as we unpack this verse and we chat afterwards, it'll give us all a renewed focus on our prayer lives. So why don't we just start with that? Why don't we just start with prayer? Lord, as we reflect on this verse, a well-known verse, I ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit, give us new revelation and help us today to apply it to our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, let's start with a little context, really. This whole passage, as we know it, is the Lord's Prayer. It it fits neatly into the Sermon on the Mount. And if you think about the setting for that, we're looking at a hill around Capernaum with spectacular views towards the Sea of Galilee. But I doubt if anybody was looking at the view. They're all focused on Jesus because he's teaching his disciples. And what I really love about that is that he's teaching us at exactly the same time. And he's teaching us how to pray. It's not a set of words that we repeat continuously, although many denominations use it that way. I think of it as a model for prayer, a template or a framework Really enjoyed the first part of this series where Catherine and Ken have presented God-focused part. So as a template or a framework, I think this is a really helpful place to start looking up to God, lifting our eyes from the problems and the challenges of daily life and our daily needs and realising that we're praying to our Father in holiness We're looking for kingdom principles and his will in heaven and on earth. What a fantastic perspective to start. And we come to this second part, and I'm going to be using Matthew chapter 6, verse 11 line, which concerns us. So we move from looking at God to us. And it just says very simply, give us today our daily bread. Now, let me just read you what my study Bible says about this, because it's always helpful going to a study Bible. It says this focuses on the disciples daily bread and necessity of life, which by implication includes all of the believers daily physical needs. So there we are. That's probably the shortest podcast you're going to have in this series. It's all done and dusted, but it does raise a number of questions. So as well as bringing a little teaching today, I want to challenge and perhaps provoke us a little bit, maybe poke a stick here and there with some questions to help us apply this teaching. So the big question for me is, how do we pray to a holy God for our daily bread when many of us get weekly deliveries, if we're honest, from our favourite supermarket? We pay by credit card 
and we just wait in at a chosen time and all we have to do is unpack it. And it reminds me that our society is very, very different to Jesus' day. This verse will have made complete sense to those who are listening in a way that we can actually miss. So again, some context might be actually helpful. In Jesus' day, workers would work all day and then receive their pay at the end of that day for what they had done. The wages would then be to use their, be used to buy food either that day or ready for the next day. I suppose for many of us, that's a bit of an alien concept at the moment. We're so used to having everything coming through on a monthly basis by backs, for example. But to the listeners in Jesus's time, it spoke of God's great provision. So if we look at a passage from the Old Testament, which the hearers would have really understood at that time from Exodus 16, and just a few verses from verse 12, And the context of this is in the first line. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. So say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know, and this is the really important part, that I am the Lord your God. In the evening the quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay over and around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there on the face of the wilderness, a fine flake-like thing, I love the ESV version, a flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they didn't know. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Again, a very understandable passage of provision of God, a supernatural food, a bread that God provided for them daily. So when Jesus said today and daily bread, they'd already be starting to understand what it actually meant. And also it talks about just enough for one day. They woke up, it was there all around them. Every day they were reminded of God's provision. So I suppose a key point for us in this podcast is God was teaching them and us, trust in me for what you need every and each day. Now, that's very different from my Tesco order that arrives between eight and nine on a Wednesday morning. And I suppose I should say other supermarkets are actually available. I can become used to looking towards Mr. Tesco to be the provider of my food, my provision. So you can start to see the context of those who heard Jesus. And perhaps we can start to discern what it means to us today. And while we're listening to this podcast, I'd like you to just try and keep three things in your mind. Our need for self-sufficiency. There's something about us that says I can manage any situation by myself. Perhaps our need to remember to actually pray might seem very fundamental and our need to recognise Jesus as the sustaining bread of life. I said earlier that I wanted us to think in terms of questions, because I think it's very helpful as you listen to podcasts to start thinking through for ourselves. So here's a couple. How do we live in the good of this verse? Can affluent, relatively rich and internet-connected Christians ask in our prayers, give us today our daily bread? How can Christians today trust and actually rely on God and follow the example of the daily manner? 
And how can we make sure that we're not so self-sufficient that we're actually storing up multiple days of manna on a regular basis? Exodus 16 says very strongly, those who collected too much because they were being greedy, they found it rotten and infested the next day. So how do we continually look to God for our needs? So what does this verse really mean for us today? It just says, rely on God for all we need and remember to ask him daily. Let me use an inspiring example from Christian history that illustrates all those points. I'm going to be reading from a diary entry by George Muller. It's something I'm doing at the moment as part of my devotional time because I can learn so much as we all can from past history. It's during a time in England when most orphans lived in miserable workhouses or actually just lived on the street. It's a bit like Oliver Twist from Charles Dickens' books. Muller took them in, he fed them, he clothed them, he educated them. And through his orphanage in Bristol, Muller cared for as many as 2,000 orphans at a time, more than 10,000 in his lifetime. But I tell you, every day was a struggle. Every day was hard. Let me read you the entry from March the 17th, 1842. This is only about 180, 181 years ago. From the 12th to the 16th had come in four pounds, five shillings and eleven and a half p for the orphans. This morning, our poverty, which now had lasted more or less for several months, had become exceedingly great. I left my house a few minutes after seven to go to the orphan houses to see whether there was money enough to take in the milk, which was brought at eight o'clock. On my way, it was especially my request that the Lord would be pleased to pity us, even as a father pitieth his children, and he would not lay more upon us than he would enable us to bear. I especially entreated him that he would now be pleased to refresh our hearts by sending us help. About two minutes walk from the orphan houses, I met a brother who was going on his early morning business. After having exchanged a few words with him, I went on, but he presently ran after me and gave me one pound for the orphans. Thus the Lord speedily answered my prayer. Truly, it is worth being poor and greatly tried in faith for the sake of having day by day such precious proofs of the loving interest which our Father takes in everything that concerns us. And how should our Father do otherwise? He has given us the greatest possible proof in his love, which he could have done in giving us his own Son. Surely he will with him also freely give us all things. I hope that really inspires you. Even having little propels us to pray and it teaches us so much humility. How important a relationship with our Father is every day and in their cases hour by hour. And of course great faith. Finally, as a way of bringing this talk to a little bit of a conclusion, let's look at two important and very central thoughts before Owen and I have a chat together. What does the bread of life look like to us today? And why don't we always see our prayers answered? It's a question I'm asked on a regular basis. In John the 6th, 
Jesus identifies himself as the bread of life. He quotes from Exodus 16. And as we look at that, I think it'll start to give us some of those answers. Let me read from John 6, 31 to 35. This is Jesus speaking. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the works. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus here is just identifying himself as the bread of life. He's also talked about living water, and he is the way. But here he's talking about the bread of life. He didn't present himself as one of the sources for salvation, but the only way to salvation. Without him, without the bread of life, there is no hope for salvation. And by identifying himself as the source of forgiveness, Jesus makes the path to repentance and a relationship with God very plain, very simple and available to everybody. So like the Israelites brought out of slavery in Egypt, and then wandering around in the wilderness, relying on the manna for their daily bread. As Christians, we have been brought out of the old kingdom and brought into the new. And we're waiting for the complete fulfilment of, the, of that new kingdom and the return of Jesus. So a very simple message in many ways. We need to rely on the Father as provider every day. And we can pray for any provision, whether it's large or seemingly small. The one question that I was asked a little while ago, which rather took me back, was, can we pray for a lottery win? This was one of on our Seeking Christianity courses. Well, my answer was this. I've been waiting all my life to have this asked. And I had to think about it for just a few moments. And I said something along these lines. We can pray for the smallest of our needs, but there is a beware. The selfishness of our prayers should give us pause for thought. A better prayer could be, what do I really need today? What does my church brothers need today? What do my family need today? I'm really pleased, hugely pleased that God has answered many of my prayers over my lifetime. But equally, I'm probably more pleased that he has chosen not to answer others, which with hindsight were not best prayers that I've ever prayed. And he's also asked me many, many times just to wait and seek him in prayer over extended periods of time. We often talk about the traffic lights, don't we? Red, amber, green. Red, this is not something you should be going into. You shouldn't be praying into this. Amber, why don't you wait a little bit? I'll teach you a little bit more. You might see the answer to prayers in different ways. And occasionally God will just say, green, go. I'm going to answer that prayer and it's going to be a really good answer to what you need at this moment. 
Can I just say it's so important to align our prayers and our prayer requests with scripture? So often we sort of think things and pray it and off we go. Let's go back to the book. Let's go back to the gospel. Perhaps I also ought to say, let's go back to an authoritative scripture as well. So how best to finish this part of the podcast? Maybe I should have just stopped after reading my study notes at the beginning, but then we would have actually missed this journey from manna to Christ. So let me finish with this. The petition for the Lord's Prayer teaches us to come to God in a spirit of humble dependence, asking him to provide what we need and to sustain us from day to day. We're not given license to ask for great riches, but we are encouraged to make our needs known to him, trusting that he will provide all that we need at just the right time. Wonderful. That was really, really great. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, just a couple of things while you were talking there that I was thinking through that have come to mind. And then it'd be great to just get some times from you where that's sort of practically you've seen those in your life. I loved how you started by just that idea of 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 manner and, and it being a, a daily reminder of God's God's provision, both practical and spiritual. And something that just really highlighted from that was that reminder to always go back to him daily rather than sort of not being comfortable with with what we've got. And yeah, I just I suppose on on your perspective, how have what are there any things that you've put into your life that you've gone? Actually, I've realised I've maybe become a bit complacent or comfortable. Maybe you're waiting for that that weekly or that monthly shop as opposed to sort of a daily provision. What are things maybe that you've put into your life that to sort of remind you about that? Yeah, it's a really good question. I suppose it starts really from just having a really good relationship with God on a day to day basis, so that it becomes part of your everyday activity that some people have early morning quiet times and prayer times with God. Other people find the best time is later on in the day. For me, it's just actually having that ability, I suppose, to keep remembering that I need to ask God for things. I'm very reminded that um, I need accountability in that. So I, along with the other elders, have prayer times once a week where we gather together and we listen to some of the prophetic words that have come during the week and we weigh them and we make sure we're accountable to our church, but also to each other. We challenge each other. What are we reading? What are we praying about? How's your life going? How's your relationship with your your wife, your children? It's, It's having that mindset that everything needs to be as level as it possibly can be and from that foundation which is very basic we can actually go to God on a regular basis so it's accountability it's having a mindset if you like to actually be with God on a regular basis and it's getting into scripture as well it's actually looking at scripture and saying what am I learning at the present time how, how, how does that all align with God's word Perhaps I can just say something about that because it's something that I'm reminded about on a regular basis at the moment. There is lots of different Bibles out there. There are different translations. Can I just encourage everybody that whilst we get our um, fed, our feeding, our daily bread, if you like, in terms of scripture from many different areas, how important it is to have something that we can really trust and read. So 
I've gone over from an NIV to an ESV Bible because I know that those are really, really good to nourish me, that they're looked after by people who are really good scholars. I hope this isn't too controversial, but there's a lot of other Bible translations out there which really come out of denominations. I'm thinking of things like the Passion Translation, for example. Very helpful to look and see how that actually works in day-to-day life. But let's be very, very careful because the way that sometimes things are said and related may not always be exactly as an ESV or an NIV. So let's be all very, very careful. And as a pastor myself, I have a responsibility to teach authoritatively from the Bible. So there we are, Owen. I'm off my soapbox now. It's a very long answer to that, but it's something that pastorally, increasingly, I have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. So yeah, Be in front of God, use authoritative scripture and make sure that you've got a day-to-day relationship, interactive relationship with God. Mm. I suppose it's that sense of if you're viewing that that daily scripture as your daily bread, being being careful what you put in your body, I suppose. Yeah, that's a Um, really good way of doing it. uh, Good phrase. Yeah, wonderful. Something that you said, which I thought was, was really great about the idea of not storing up and I suppose this looks now on a slightly more practical note of asking God for provision in a more practical way. You said about them not storing up manna for the next day, not storing up earthly things, but having your focus on, on heaven. How have you practically seen that in your life, specifically balancing that tension between we're meant to be wise stewards? So the idea of, you know, we're not meant to live frivolous lives and be, sort of think that, oh, the earthly things don't matter in the sense of we don't provide, we don't save, we don't look to put down roots, all those things we don't look to give because, you know, oh, well, it's just money. It doesn't matter anything. At the same time, we also don't want to be storing things up on earth. How do you balance that tension? It's a really big tension, isn't it? Now, Owen, you said right at the start that, yeah, my past life was a dentist. I had a good wage coming in, worked very hard and very people-centred. But it was quite um, a lucrative and financially stable environment. I think for me, I learned an awful lot when I decided to stop doing that in the way that I was doing it. About 11 years ago, I really heard from God and had it weighed with the different elders in the church. And what I was feeling at that time was to leave the practice I was in, put down the job, And actually, God would then supply all my needs. It was a very direct call. As I look back over 11 years, yeah, people I worked with didn't quite understand that at the time. As a family, we embraced it. You, Owen, will remember the cheap sausages that we used to have at that particular time. The classic joke. The classic (laughs) Mudford joke that we went down to very cheap sausages because as I came out of the practice, I actually didn't have a job. And then within a Two months, I had a half a day that grew to a day. Then I had another day. And by about six to nine months after coming out of the practice, I actually had four days a week employment. Very different lifestyle, very different wage coming in. We made one decision right at the start, Jan and I, and that was our tithing wouldn't change. So we tithed exactly the same 
to the church, which we felt was biblical, whether we had the money coming in or not. So we utilised savings that came in as some jobs came in. And God was very gracious with us to bring those in. But what it did, it freed me up from the need for money. It actually allowed me to think, okay, money is important, but actually I'm going to have to really trust in God. And because it was a family issue, I think we all probably grew a little bit from that at the same time. So yeah, I suppose practically in my life, putting down a job, keeping our focus on God, keeping our tithe going at that particular time, even though it looked on paper and figure-wise absolutely ridiculous to do, but it learnt, it, it taught us all, I suspect, and certainly taught me an enormous amount of putting our trust in God. Mm, amazing. And maybe for someone who's listening and going you know I, I I'm really nervous about that idea of, of giving I'm I'm sort of nervous of what it looks like to step in into that how have you seen God bless you through that giving out of a place of maybe there where there wasn't much coming in yeah well let me say straight away this is not a preach about a prosperity gospel there's enough of that on the internet at the moment in different denominations so for me it was actually putting that trust in God to the extent that we could live with less than we actually had. And it allowed us then just to do other things. So for myself, it opened up an opportunity to do teaching. I went back and I did a PGCE in a medical setting and I became a teacher. It allowed me to go into a university setting and teach there. It allowed me to go off and become a member of the General Dental Council because I was freed from one job. Now, the interesting thing as I look back, God had been preparing me for that by giving me teaching roles. It led into more preaching. It allowed me a freedom to do more in the church. And as I came towards the time when I was asked, would I join the leadership team and become an elder? Everything seemed to fit into place. We had discarded a lot of stuff. We had gained a lot of new knowledge. And actually, we're in the right front foot to be able to embrace church and church leadership, to embrace a different style of teaching, which has then come into my preaching ministry within the church. And it's actually just opened up many opportunities like that. And I hope it's been a sign to others that as long as you've heard from God, as long as it's been weighed with trusted people and you know that God is in this, anything is possible. Mm amazing amazing and when you come to god in terms of asking for things you said about earlier that sense of you can ask for anything small big but also to carefully weigh those things how do you know what is good to come to god with how do you know what is something you can ask for and maybe other things that maybe you're not so sure Oh, well, and that's a really, really, really searching question. Well, I suppose it does come out of that relationship that I was talking about earlier. I think you need to be grounded with the people around you. I think you need to think, do I really need this X, Y or Z? But it also launches into other areas like how do you pray for things for healing? How do you pray for big things and events within the church that you actually need to. And I think it's just a matter of being before God and actually having a peace, a calm, an ability to think, yeah, this feels absolutely right 
And having done all of that, perhaps you move along. Now, that's the end point. Before that, it's a lot of hard work. So Matthew 7, 7 talks about asking and seeking and knocking. So this is a very practical, particularly the, the knocking. It means there's a bit of action in here. You've got to be before God on a regular basis. You might need to do some fasting as well before you actually feel you've got the right answer. So it's a practical thing. You ask and you keep asking. You knock and you keep knocking. You seek and you keep seeking until you really feel that there is that stillness about you before you make a decision. And it can happen in different ways. I moved to King's Church Uckfield about 28 years ago now. It actually came through a sermon. And it was actually a word that came through a sermon by a very godly man, John Francis. And it was that moment where it was like it was only me in the hall. And it was like, goodness, God knows every little bit about me. And what John is saying is everything I and my family need at this moment in time. So I think it comes in a, a number of different ways. And for me, I'm a picture person. I often get a picture of something. And so I then need to pray and really seek into that as to what it is that God is actually saying and what direction perhaps he's actually moving me into. Mm. Can you maybe, if you feel comfortable, show maybe an example where you've been that sort of to use the biblical and biblical parable, the persistent widow, and you've kept knocking. Do you maybe share an example? Of well, I, I can. It's a very personal one. So I have, Jan and I have four children and Owen and Tris are really going on with God in their respective churches. And I have two gorgeous girls who at one stage were very strongly going on with God. They're not with God at the moment in a way that I can practically see. I don't see the fruit from it, although I know they have gone forward and made declarations in their younger years at Stonely. So for me, that's one that I haven't seen yet. And that's one that I need to bring back to God on a day to day basis. I need to say, Lord, I'm asking you, I'm pleading you. Please speak to them. Please bring them back into a relationship with Jesus. Make Jesus the most important thing in their lives. And now they're both married. They've both got partners. So my prayer has extended to their partners as well. And I think as an example of just contending, it's good to have people around you. So we have parent pray once a month in our church. And that's parents who've got children who are not walking with God at this moment in time. And they range from teenagers through to men and women in their 40s or 50s. And we just pray and we come before God and we say, Lord, we beseech you. A bit like George Muller, we beseech you, Lord, Lord, just touch their lives again. Bring Christians alongside them. Put them in situations where they cry out to you. And we reckon that we recognize that we can pray. We can't necessarily change them. In fact, we all agree that the more we talk about a religion and God and Jesus, it's more likely to put them off. So we have to just give that to God. We have to say, Lord, this is something only you can actually deal with. And for us, it's a privilege to pray for our children. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, it's, it's a real it's a really tricky area. I think that that's where the rub hits the road in these sorts yeah. of areas with prayer, doesn't it? Because it's all well and good us saying, you know, the the green orange and red when it comes to i'd like a car and god goes you know oh that's a red or that's a green but 
what does that practically look like when we say actually you know what unanswered prayer when it comes to those areas we don't know and we you know as um as a sibling you know we we keep praying we keep feeding into conversations and have those conversations where possible but at the same time yeah I don't, I don't know. I don't know where that will come. And at the moment, it seems like a, a rather large orange light. And 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 who knows? We will see at one day, I suppose, in that area. But that's where the rubber hits the road, where it's not a, a simple one. And thank you so much for sharing that, because there'll be people I know who will listen in who will... Yeah, there will be either a similar situation or whether it's praying for, for healing that they've not seen or where it's praying for, yeah, the salvation of their partner. And yeah, that I know that you and, and, and mum sort of faithfully over years have been praying for this and will continue to. And sometimes that's that's what it looks like. It's It's yeah. a difficult journey. It is. It is. It's a hard journey. But because we have the authority to pray, <clears throat> it's something which is a privilege to actually be part of. Thank you. What do you think it looks like for the church, I suppose slightly wider, for a church to pray for provision and for direction in yeah, on well, a daily basis? Start, yeah, let's start with provision. So the style of churches that Christchurch and King's Uckfield are, we are funded by our members. We have plans for a building, which you're well down the road for, well established for that and using it for lots of community outreach. So actually... For a small number of people to actually keep going back to them and saying, we want more because we want to do more for God in this in this town is a is a huge responsibility. But we believe that a church needs to be in the community. It needs to be where God's people can be most useful, whether it's food banks or whether it's just debt collection and debt, debt, debt advice, wherever there is a need. That's where we should be. So our provision that we actually want, whether it's for a building or for a day-to-day funds, is all about what can we use it for, for God's glory. And that's quite sobering in its way because big businesses just want to make a profit. Our profit is seeing the kingdom generate more disciples. And then we have the privilege, the amazing privilege of actually helping that disciple process over years and years. And that's where it's so exciting to see young people come to Christ, to see people who have drug addictions come to Christ, because we know that it's the right place for that particular person to be. And then there's the big prayers, aren't there? So we're looking at a number of prophetic words that have come our way in the last about six weeks about preparedness, being prepared as a church for God to open the floodgates of blessing. We had another one from who was a visiting preacher just this week, reminding us of how important our worship is and our prayer life is, because that's going to unlock what God wishes to do. Don't ask me how that works, because we don't know, do we? It's still that mystery, but we worship hard. We 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 pray hard. We know that God will do it in his own time, but there's also that sense, isn't there, that quickening, that the more we are involved in this process the more we will start to be seeing change in ourselves and as our change in ourselves takes place so that change takes place in the community as people are attracted to us they say of some of the great revivals that when people walk down the road 
They don't know where the revival is being held or where the worship meeting is being held, but they sense God's presence. And I suppose that's that's a way of thinking about how we are at the moment. As a church, for me personally, it's praying for a breakthrough of even more resource so we can actually help the, the community. It's a breakthrough of seeing the Holy Spirit fall in a way that actually changes lives and allows lives to be radically different to how they are actually today. Mm, amazing uh, i suppose the seeking in in that on a church level is obviously people's daily prayer life and walk in there but also corporate gatherings of prayer as well that that comes into play of if your daily devotional time with god is you is is often the time when you spend seeking and and and, and knocking then those corporate times of, of prayer become that for the church they do. And from that, you go away refreshed as a, as a church. It makes Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday much more God-focused. And I suppose it's an attitude of mind. It's, it's head and heart working together to make absolutely sure that what people see about us is very interactive. So I can remember an instance where um, there was a couple in our church. They had a young family. They He was actually doing a thesis, a master's thesis. And what he was doing was talking about how spiritual prayer and how the spiritual disciplines, if you like, influenced healthcare and made people better. It wasn't just, I'll pray and heal you. It was actually the psychological and the intensity of being able to cope with illness and mm. cancers, etc. And they came to interview us. And the one thing he said, which rather sobered Jan and I, said, I remember when we were going through a very hard time, you said that in your family, you do prayer before paracetamol. And we'd actually forgotten saying that, but it was a principle, I think, that we mm. actually had. It was we pray and then if we feel there's a need, we can always do paracetamol. But let's make sure we think of praying first. And looking across at you, Owen, I don't think it's harmed you over the years. You've got the prayer. You've probably got the, the calpol as well. But that's just an illustration of how you don't just go to church on a Sunday, have a nice worship time, hear a few nice things, have a coffee, meet your mates. There's actually something that you should be doing on a day-to-day -day basis that allows people to see Jesus mm. in all that you're actually doing. And it's a relationship. God wants a relationship with us, which means that he wants that daily interaction. It's not just that there's a there's daily need, although there is daily need. It's also a daily desire on his personal. And just reminding us how good he is. I always remember, actually, it's interesting you said about the, the prayer before paracetamol. I remember the, the person who is, I would say, at least on my perspective, the best at reminding me to pray when I've lost something is mum. <laughs> The amount of times over the years that I've gone, like, I can't find this, I can't find this. And mum will just go, have you prayed? Yeah. And I go, I actually haven't. <laughs> and then I pray and I find it straight away. I remember it happening with, oh, it happened with my wallet. I was talking to you guys on the phone when I was living at Andy and Brenda's actually. And I said, oh, I haven't found my wallet. It's been like two or three days. I can't find it. I'm really annoyed. Mum said, Had you, have you prayed? And I said, oh, no. And we prayed then. And I came off the phone and I immediately found it in my jacket pocket. <laughs> and yeah, just that that reminder that God cares so much about the little things as much as the, the massive things as well. 
Amazing. Well, let's close that the conversation there. Thank you so much for joining me. Huge pleasure. And, you know, prayer is just an enormous privilege. Recently, we've had the Oscars, haven't we? And, you know, people applaud all the stars. They applaud and celebrate the films that we probably will never go and see. They certainly wear outfits on the red carpet that we will never even want to wear. And yet, in that Academy picture, with all the amazing roles... We actually have our own producer. We have somebody who we can be part of the big story, the God story. And the way we do that is relationship and it's prayer. What a privilege to be able to go to God and say, can you give us today our daily bread? Mm. Incredible. What a great note to end on. Thank you so much for joining me. And I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. Join us next month when we're going to be continuing this by looking at forgive us our sins or trespasses as we forgive those who sin against us. I'm really pleased to be able to say that we've got Janet Johnston with us and that's going to be a really great episode. So join us then. Have a great one. God bless. God bless.